Back in the day when I was a teenager in the late 60s, there was a musical group out at that time who made several phenomenal hits. Matter of fact, they made hit after hit after hit. And they were, they were a family group. And they were very young. In fact, they were all teenagers. And no, I'm not talking about the Jackson Five. <laughs> but I'm talking about another family group of young teenage singers, ironically, who sung roughly around the same time period as the Jackson Five, but I actually like this family group better than the Jackson Five. They were the Burke family, and the name of the group was the Five Steer Steps. Do any old school people, do any old school people remember the Five Steer Steps? Amen. Okay. Back in the day, the Five Steer, hey, the Five Steer Steps was cooking back in the day. They made several hits. But you know what? They're not as readily remembered as the Jackson Five. I think in part because they didn't have a long career. They didn't, um, they only recorded for a few years and then they stopped recording. I don't know why, you know, I guess they broke up. I don't know the reason. It certainly wasn't because of lack of talent. But they didn't have the uh, uh, longevity as the Jackson Five did. But when they were singing, in my opinion, they were the bomb. They put out some phenomenal hits. Hits like Something's Missing. It's like danger, she's a stranger. It's like it's a world of fantasy. And it's like the hit that best illustrates this particular text. And that hit song was entitled, You Waited Too Long. Anybody remember that? You Waited Too Long. I, I see, I was a smoker too. And um, the song You Waited Too Long really was this young soloist really singing. He was really telling a story. He was telling a story of a relationship, a love relationship he had with a young girl. And the young girl put him down and departed out of his life. And he was brokenhearted. He was, he was shaken. But then he did, and he's telling this in the story, then he did what I believe was a wise thing for a young man to do in that situation. He found himself another girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the ladies when I say that. He found himself another girl. But the second girl, the other girl he found was really in love with him. He was in love with her, and she was really in love with him and really gave him the time and attention that he wanted to give her. But when he fell in love with this second girl, a strange thing happened. All of a sudden, the first girl, oh, y'all remember wanted to come back into his life. And his solo is a response to the first girl. And the solo goes something like this. The solo in the chord goes something like this. Now that I found myself another girl, tell me all about it. And she loves me with all of her heart. Let me hear you shout it to me. She's all I need to make a brand new start. And of course, it goes, Star. They break it down like that. They break it down like that, remember? And then they freeze. And then he comes with the finale. For you waited too long. <laughs> I couldn't go on. You waited. Oh, come on, give God a praise. <laughs> 
That's back in the day. That's old school stuff. <laughs> but way, yeah, I, I hear you, Carlton. I hear you, Carlton. But way before the five stair steps were ever created, that was God's song. That was God's message to the original Israelites. Because God had been good to the original. God had a love relationship with the original Israelites. And they walked out on God. In a sense. Because God had loved on them. Love relationship. God had helped them. God had delivered them. God delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. God took them across the Red Sea. God provided manna for them in the wilderness. But when God wanted to take them to a higher level of blessings, the promised land, they didn't believe that their lover, the lover of their souls, could do it. They didn't believe that God could deliver them and take care of their enemies and bless their life and handle their life. So God decided that he was going to issue an edict. If you don't trust me, if you don't believe me, then you won't go into the promised land. You'll wander for 40 years and I'll give it to your children. Your children will go into the promised land. Then all of a sudden, they wanted to come back and say, Okay, after, after, after they heard God's uh, uh, verdict, after they heard God's chastisement, that they weren't going in, they were wondering. Then all of a sudden, they want to go up now and go into the promised land that God said that he would give to them. And God's message to them was, you waited. Oh, y'all got to help me. I like when you help me. You waited. You waited too long. And, 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 and New Hope, I'm sent today in part to admonish you and to help you understand that God also has a song for new hope and God has a message for new hope. New hope, when God wants to take us, when God wants to anoint us, when God wants to bless us, don't wait too long. When God opens a door, go through it. When God shuts the door, stop. When God tells you to go, get moving. If God tells you to jump, jump. If God tells you to stomp, Stomp. And when you get a clear word from the Lord, it's a word for today. Not for next decade or or, or, or next year or or not even next month. But God gives you a right now word. New hope. Don't wait too late. That's the essence of the message. And there's. I want you to see it in the text, not just because I said I want you to see it in the text, but there's also a few other things that God would have us to glean from this message. Matter of fact, there's at least three things on your outline that God would have us to glean. But cue up your phones if you um, somehow got off the text. Get back to the text. Open your Bibles to it. That's our manuscript. Matter of fact, what I teach is never close your Bible at the New Hope Church during sermon time. Always have your Bible open because I want you to see the word for yourself. And I want you to know I'm not coming out my head. I'm not coming out with what I think. I'm coming out with the, what the word says. Amen. So I want you to see it for yourself. Notice what it says in verse 39. He's, he, he, he's talking to the new generation, but he's letting them know how he dealt with their parents 40 years prior. And when they didn't want to go in, this was God's verdict. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive because you were afraid to go in, you didn't think I could protect you. The little ones, your children, the group that he's talking to now who are grown now with their own kids, 
He says, your children who, who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. There you go. I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. Now, how many, stop right there now. How many of you know if God says they will go into the land, they will take possession of it? That's a done deal. Thank you. That, that, that's, if God said that will happen, they will going to happen. How many of you know? Well, let me ask you, what do you think is going to happen? If God say they will go into the promised land, they will take possession of it. It's going to happen. And that's because God's word is ever selling in heaven. This is God speaking. If God says it, he's going to do it. God is well able to back up. What he said, God is well able to perform what he says he's going to do. And if God's word says it, baby, you can take it to the bank. It's good. You can cash in on it. You can live it. You can receive the benefits of it. They will go in. If God said it, it's going to happen. God said if you're going to happen. God, get acquainted with, with what God says about you and his word. Because that's the truth. In his word, God says you're a saint. Walk like that. In his word, God says you're righteous in Christ Jesus. Walk like that. You might not always feel. Matter of fact, I can tell you, you're not going to always feel like a saint. But but God's word isn't based on how you feel. It's based on who gives it. If God says you're a saint, then guess what you are? I I don't care what you feel. You might not feel like it, but so what? If God says it, that's who you are. You might not feel like you're righteous, but in Christ Jesus you are because of your faith in Jesus Christ. So walk in the truth. Walk in God's word. Walk in the light. Receive it. Believe it. Have it. Walk in it. And praise him for it. Now, here's the the chastisement for them. This is God's word, too. This is what God is saying to them. But as for you, the original Israelites, turn around, set out toward the wilderness, along the route to the Red Sea. Now, this is God's word. He's already declared his verdict. It's settled now in heaven. Isn't it interesting that God tells Israel, God had all of these wonderful blessings for them, and they did not trust God enough to, to believe that he could do it, even though they had already seen him do miracles. Even though he had already parted the Red Sea for them, caused them to go across on dry land, but yet now they ain't going to trust him to handle their enemies and their worries and their stressors and their foes. So God said, all right, if you don't want to trust me, if you don't want my, if you don't want to go to the next level, as, as Brother Ziegler would say, if you don't want to go to the next level, then you're going to go and, and wander for 40 years in the wilderness. You remember the point last week that if you don't go into my blessings by faith, then you'll go into the wilderness by command. Remember? So trust God. For the blessings, and don't don't have God pull rank on you. He knows how to do that. So one of the things, one of the things, they, they, they go to the go to the route to the Red Sea. Wait a minute, to the Red Sea. That's way back there. That's what we that's what we first came, that's what we first came to. In other words, think about what God is saying to them. I had blessings for you, but your faith would not allow you to access my blessings. And this is one of the only times I've noticed God to do this. I'm going to take you backwards in your relationship with me. 
The Red Sea was something they had experienced when not long after they came out of Egypt. Now, they've been walking with the Lord for over a year now because in their first year they came to Mount Sinai. So they've been walking with God for at least a year. Then it's an 11-day journey from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, the, the, the precipice of the promised land. So they've been going, walking with the Lord. God takes them backwards. In your relationship and your fellowship with God, you don't want to go backwards, right? You want to go forward in him. But this is a part of God's chastening hand. And that brings me to the first point. I want everyone to pull up close on this. It's so important for you to grasp this because here's how this works with us. Let me just say it this way. Would you believe that God has a long rope? Do you believe me when I say that? And that rope has a label on it. That rope has a label. It's called patience. God has a long rope of patience. Let me say it another way, because you act like you ain't getting that analogy. Let me say it this way. God puts up with a lot with you. God puts up with a lot. Do I have any witness in the house that God puts up with a lot? Well, if you ain't willing to say it, I could, I could use I statements. I could talk about myself. I know about myself. I know God has put up with a whole lot of mess, a whole lot of stuff in my own life. Times when I wanted to do good, but I didn't. Oh, y'all don't hear me. Y'all, y'all. I know y'all looking holy. I know y'all saved. I know y'all filled with the Holy Ghost and all of that. But you still got a sin nature. I know y'all anointed. I get all of that. But you still fall short. I know y'all blessed. I get that. But you still make mistakes. But God has put up with a lot of stuff in my life. I'm talking about after being saved. Anybody with me? God is a patient God. God is very patient. Sometimes it, I'm enamored by God's patience, to be honest with you, because there's sometimes I don't like me. But God still loves me. God never wavers. God never shifts. His love for me is steadfast and unmovable, unfailing, and uncompromising when I don't like me. Here's the point, though. God got a long rope of patience, but here it is. But the rope runs out. The message from today's text, based on the original Israelites' experience, although God got a long, long, long rope, although God puts up with a lot in our life, somebody here needs to know the rope runs out. God said from the very beginning, I got the scriptural reference on your, on your sheet here. Matter of fact, it's Genesis uh, chapter 6, verse 3a. All the way from the book of beginning, God says, my spirit will not always strive with man. Check it for yourself. That's what Genesis 6, 3a says. Now, my spirit is patient. My spirit puts up with a lot. My spirit will strive with you. My spirit will work with you. But my spirit will not always strive with man. That means the rope runs out. How many of you remember the Bible character named Noah? Anybody ever hear that name? Amen. Well, Noah was commanded by God to build the ark, right? Yeah. 
And he built the ark because God commanded him to. And God told Noah it was going to do something on planet Earth that it had never, ever, had never, ever happened before. And that is, it's going to rain. It had never rained on the earth before. God and his grace watered the earth. Without any precipitation from above. So when Noah preached that it was going to rain, nobody believed him. They laughed at him. He said he built an ark, though, what God told him to do. He said, it's going to rain. They didn't know what rain was. But when, they got, when Noah got every male and female of every species of animal on that boat, and when he got Mrs. Noah on the boat and his three sons and their wives, eight people, It rained, but no, but, but the point is, the door shut. The door to the ark shut. And it started to rain. And you know what? Guess what? There may have been people outside in the rain beating on the door. But guess what? Once that door shut, I mean, if you hadn't got on board, once that door shut, you say, well, God is a merciful God, isn't he? I mean, isn't he? God is a gracious God, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Once that door is shut, though, nobody else got on board. God is a gracious God. God is a merciful God. But the rope runs out. They waited too long. I don't want anyone at New Hope to think that you can play with God's grace. Or that you can, uh, or that I can um, take advantage of God's mercies because God is merciful, God is patient. But the message that you got to hear is the rope runs out. And 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 nobody. Nobody should want to get on the wrong side of God. That's a bad place to be, on, on the wrong side of God. So here's an example of the is, original Israelites. When they heard God's verdict, all of a sudden now, they want to go up. But it was too late. God will give us space to repent. But at some point in time, the rope runs out. Help us out, Sister T. Because God's rope runs out. Revelations chapter 2, 20 through 22. Nevertheless, I have few, a few things against you because you allow the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immortalities, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Thank you, Sister T, for reading that. But did you hear what she, I think it was in verse 21, where God says to this woman in the church, what church was that? Does it say? It's in the book of Revelation. Do, do it say Thyatira? Do it say what church it was? It didn't say. That's okay. But it's one of the seven churches in Asia Minor. This woman was in the church, and she was very promiscuous, seducing 
men in the church. But here's what God said to her. He said, I gave you space to repent. I gave you time, in other words, to repent. God is gracious. Oh, y'all, 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 y'all. God is merciful. God is patient. But the rope runs out. You read some consequences. I will cast you into a sick bed. Isn't that what you read? Uh The rope ran out, but, but before he gave her those consequences, he said, I gave you space to repent. Mm-hmm. Repent means to turn from it. Right. Now, we all fall short. We all got our issues. We all make mistakes. But don't live in it. Don't practice it ongoingly and think, God, oh, don't take notice. Amen. Not that. Not that Pastor Cooper's good. I'm not. I'm saved. There's a difference. Guess what? Not that you're good. Let me tell you without blinking. You're not. You're saved. There's a difference. When you save, it means God is good. (laughs) Can, Can you hear me? That's why Jeremiah had to say, if it had not been for your mercies, we would all be consumed. But great is thy faithfulness. Your compassions, they fail if not. Your mercies are new every morning. But we needed those mercies because if not, we would all be consumed, Jeremiah said. Amen? But notice... So, 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 so first of all, he, he gives us space. He, he gives us a long rope. But the message you got to take with you is the rope runs out. Or do you, if you have that, would you say amen? amen? But notice what the text says next. And I'm going to preface it by saying this. Don't be guilty of giving God too little too late. Don't be, give, don't, don't, don't be guilty of that. Uh, 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 you probably have picked up by now that in the last couple of messages, I've been teaching holiness. This is essentially what this is about. Because if I just preach feel good messages to you and never deal with the issue of sin as opposed to holiness, then you're not going to get a balanced account of what the Bible teaches. So that means that. When God deals with me over these issues, I got to deal with you over these issues, but I do it with the word. Don't be guilty of giving God too little, too late. Now watch this, because it's real interesting, and I want to get your take on this. This is awesome to me. In in verses 41 through 44, you got that queued up? You got your Bible open, right? God gives his word of chastisement. You turn and you go back in the world. Your kids are going to go in. But as for you, you go back into the wilderness backwards to the Red Sea, right? Would you agree that's God's word? But notice what they do. They then, after God issues his chastising word, then you reply, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, they're confessing. Isn't that what God tells us to do? 
And it sounds like they're repenting. I mean, so that sounds good. Did you hear that? Then you replied, we are sinned against the Lord. Confession. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God has commanded us. Repentance. Good, right? At least it sounds like that, right? But it's not. New hope. They waited too long. You say, but they confessed. You say they repented. When it was raining, folk was knocking on the door too. But they didn't get in. God has this interesting time frame. Let me, let me put it to you this way. It, confession and repentance is good. But once God issues his decree, his word, even his chastening word, he's not going back on his word. If you note prior to that confession, he issued his decree. It was a chastening decree, but it was his word. I'm going to give it to your children. You, you, you don't believe me. I'm going to give it to your children. But that's his word. Uh, um, you, you go and you turn and head toward the Red Sea. It was like God was kind of like sick of them, so to speak, in, in, in a natural kind of, kind of way. We would think of it like that. Here's the, here's the biblical issue that the text is yielding up for us. God's rope runs out. And once his word is established, you're not going in, your children are. You, you read that, right? Yes, amen. Do you think he's going back on that? No. You turn and you head toward the Red Sea, backwards. That's his word. Do you think he's going back on it? No. His word is forever settled in heaven. So you can cry crocodile tears. You can say, I'm sorry. You can say, I confess. You can say, I changed my mind. It's too little. Too late. You say, what? No, no, no. I say, that's what the word of God is revealing. The rope is long. Don't get me wrong. The rope is long, but it runs out. And the thing that's dangerous, if we ever choose to live in disobedience to God on an ongoing basis, the thing that's dangerous about that is is we never know when God's rope is going to run out because he typically doesn't announce that to you. He just starts dealing disadvantageously in your life. It's called chastisement for the believer. And it's a biblical doctrine, the doctrine of God's chastening hand, his chastisement. And here's the other thing that you got to know and that I got to teach. Is that words don't mean as much to God as behaviors do. Let me say it to you another way. Do you know in your own life experience that people can talk a good game? Have anybody ever found out in life? There's folk I know 
they can talk. If you just listen to what they say, you will say, oh, this brother got it going on. This brother is up. But see, you can't just, I found out in life, you can't just go by what people say. They talk in a good game. It sounds good, but I know a whole bunch of folk that sound good. But don't you put all your eggs in their basket. Matter of fact, don't you put all your eggs in no human's basket. Put all your eggs in God's basket. Because on, on their best day, a human will fail you. It sounded good. But God doesn't function based on just words people say. God looks at the heart. And I can tell you right now, their heart is not right with God, even though they're saying nice words. They're saying words that sound like uh, uh, they've had a heart change. But when you say words of confession and repentance without heart change on the inside, it's just, it's, it's air. This is how we know, in part, partly, partly God isn't going to go back on his word because they waited too long. He already has given his edict. You're not going in. You're going to go to the wilderness. And he's not going back on his settled word. But the other thing is that their heart still isn't right. And God just doesn't look at words. He looks at the heart. Are you with me? Watch this now. You got to watch this closely because I don't want you to believe it because I said it. But watch what the text yields. We have sinned against the Lord. Sound good. We will go up and fight. Sounds like they're repenting as the Lord I commanded us. But watch this. Every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it easy to go up into the hills, into the hill country. Wait a minute now. How do they think it's easy to go up there now? Just when God told them to go up just not long ago, they were scared. And there's giants over there and our children will be praying. We will be bred and there's fortified walls now. They, they in their mind, they thinking it easy to go up now. What? Which is it? Which is it? That's a confusing faith. That's what we call a fickle faith, a wishy-washy faith. God really isn't interested in fickle, wishy-washy faith. One minute you're here. One minute you're over there. One minute you don't trust him. The next minute you do. God isn't interested in wishy-washy, fickle faith. Which is it? Well, it's confusing because there's an author of confusion, and it ain't God. If you could follow me, would you say amen? amen. Now, 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 watch this closely now, because my only task is to teach truth. Watch this closely. This is how we know that their heart still isn't right with God, although their words were good. Let me tell some young person out there. Don't you just go by some boy's words or don't just go by some girl's words. Check their life and their lifestyle and not just what they say. There's a whole bunch of folk that got in some serious trouble going by what some folks said. If you can hear me, would you say amen? amen? This is how we know that their heart still isn't right. But the Lord said, <laughs> watch this now. The Lord said to me, this is Pastor Moses. Now watch how God deals. The Lord said to Pastor Moses, tell them. 
Now, no, he doesn't go to them. He goes to Pastor Moses and tells Moses to tell the people. And this is how we know that their heart wasn't right, although their words sound good. God says to Pastor Moses, Reverend Moses, tell them, do not go up and fight. Because I will not be with you. That's one indicator that their heart still ain't right. And it's the other verification that once God gives his edict, he's not going back on it. Are y'all mad? It's okay. God ain't going to change. <laughs> but watch it, watch it, watch it. Do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. Clear indication something's still wrong with them. Nothing wrong with God. But God ain't trying to hear their confession. I can tell you that. So I told you, Pastor Moses told the, the, uh, the congregation what God told him to tell them. But watch this closely. But you would not listen. Here is an indicator of somebody's heart that's still not right. When the pastor tells them what God told him to tell them, and they still don't listen. Although they're talking decent stuff, but their heart still ain't right. Because when somebody is truly repentant, and when somebody is truly contrite, about their sin. And when somebody truly confesses it, their heart is tender to what thus say of the Lord. Amen. Theirs wasn't. And how many of you know, I don't care what you say with your words, God knows your heart. Amen. Their, their, their heart is still unrepentant on the inside, although their words on the outside say something different. But see, God, no, he looks at the heart. And, and, and here is another indicator. Pastor Moses tells them not to go up because God told them to tell them. And they knew that God spoke through Pastor Moses. They knew that. They knew that God worked miracles through Pastor Moses. They knew that God used Pastor Moses during 10 plagues in Egypt to speak the word of God to Pharaoh and to work 10 miracles and plagues that eventually led them out of Egypt into freedom. They knew that God spoke through Moses at the Red Sea when God told him to strike. They knew that God was speaking through him, but they still wouldn't listen. I don't care how good the words sound. God knows the heart. And their heart still ain't right. If you can see that from the text, you say amen. Here's another indicator that their heart still ain't right. Do not give God too little, too late. And he knows your heart. He's not just going by your word. Oh, I love the Lord. I've heard people say that. Oh, I love Jesus. But their lifestyle does not back the words they speak. And I just want to say, None of us in here are perfect, but I got to teach what God gives me to teach. But watch this now. Pastor Moses told them what God told them to tell them. Don't go up. I'm not with you. 
And what the text says is you rebelled against the Lord's command. Although it was Pastor Moses who spoke it. When Pastor Moses spoke to them the word of God, it was the, the Bible is indicating it was tantamount to God speaking to them. Because the text says, when you rebelled against what, 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 what Moses told you, you rebelled against the Lord's command. Can you see that from the text? Does that sound like a truly repentant heart to you? Does that sound like a truly uh, heart that really has surrendered to the Lord? And let me give you this. Giving God too little too late is a clear indication that your heart is still not right with God. God is not interested with the crumbs of faith from the table of disobedience. He's not interested in that. Since Jesus gave 100% of his blood to the point that he died and went to the grave for you, God wants 100% of you. He wants all of you. He don't want to tithe. Some people think a tithe is too much, 10%. God don't want 10% of you. You say, well, that's a tithe, pastor. Don't you get it? God wants 100%. He wants it all. But he's deserving of it all because he gave it all. One last point. See, and, and, and here's the marker. We say we love the Lord, right? I hear it all the time. Here's the marker, John 14, 15. Here's, the, here's, here's what John 14, 15 says. If you love me, keep my commandments. Amen. That's, the, that's the measurement. Amen. Not just words, not just saying you love God. But if you love me, keep my commandments. If we say we love the Lord on Sunday and leave out of these doors and live like the devil, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Help me understand how God views that. That's what, that's, that's what the text is about. But one more. Just, 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 just one more. New Hope, God just don't want you to obey him. God just don't want me to obey him to avoid chastisement. They, they heard what God said he would do. They heard the chastening voice of God. Then they decide they want to change. And don't, I mean, it's, 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 it's okay to want to avoid chastisement. I'm not saying that we should not want to do that. It's good to want to avoid chastisement, but that, should, but that shouldn't be the only reason. Matter of fact, the primary reason that we line up with God is because we love him. Amen. That should be the primary reason. Because if it's only chastisement avoidance, soon as the threat is removed, you're going to keep on doing what you're doing. Let me say it like this. If, you, if you're 12 years old and you start experimenting with smoking cigarettes. See, I got a little history with this. That's how I can use this as an analogy. And your parents find out at 12 you smoking. 
your dad might threaten to crush you. That's how my dad was with me when I was experimenting with smoking. I'm talking about, I'm talking about cools. I ain't talking about weed. I'm talking about cigarettes back then. But my dad threatened to crush me because I had the gall once he left the house. I thought he was going to be gone for hours, but he surprised me, and he came back, and I had smoked in the bathroom. But you know, when you smoke in a, in a small bathroom, that smoke comes out. I mean, you can smell it when you come. And my dad, and I was scared of him. He wanted to crush me. But here's the thing. His threat to crush me only stopped me from smoking in the house. It did not stop me from smoking behind the school or out in the playground or outside because I was only changing because of chastisement avoidance. And, and what I'm saying to you is don't be like the Israelites. Soon as God issued chastisement, you're going to change because of discipline avoidance, but not because you love the Lord. Because if, 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 if you only change, think of it as a parent with a child and, and, and you just beat your child or discipline them every time they do something wrong without helping them to internalize the benefits of doing right for themselves so that they can make their so they can make wise decisions because they have internalized. This is the most beneficial thing for me to do, because if they never internalize doing right and they only do right because of threats, what happens if you die and the threat is removed? Because they haven't internalized for themselves the benefit of doing right. They will only respond to chastisement. But if that, is, if that threat is removed, then they still going to, they still going to keep on doing what they're doing. So that was Israel's, that was Israel's predicament I want to close by helping you to avoid chastisement because that is appropriate. It shouldn't be the only reason. It should primary reason should be because we love the Lord. Now, this is so important and I, 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 it's important for you to hear. In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, God reveals three methods of chastisement that is so important for you to hear. And we'll, we'll close with this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this chastisement is because of uh, um, faithlessness in taking communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the church was taking communion, but they did not discern the body of Christ. They had a very carnal view on, on taking communion without discerning the body of Christ. But what I want you to focus in on, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, God says that he disciplined them in three ways. First of all, he said, because of this, because you're not discerning the body of Christ, there's some who are weak among you, the church. Then he said, there are some who are sick. This is chastisement. And then he says, thirdly, some have fallen asleep. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? I want you to see with your own eyes. It's too important to miss. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And verses 29 through 30. 
And then I'm going to teach how to avoid God's chastisement. First Corinthians chapter 11. When you get that, would you say amen? amen. 29 through 30. If you have first Corinthians 11, 29, would you say amen? amen? Listen to this. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason. Here's God's chastisement. This is believers. This is to the church, to what we would say is believers. Of course, there's some in the church who are not believers, but it's too important to miss. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Do you have any idea what it means when he says many sleep? It's, it's being used as a metaphor. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? What does it mean? It means death. Here's what's so important for you to grasp about our God. The rope runs out, first of all. And although this is applying to communion, I strongly believe, and I got biblical reference for it, that it's applicable to any and all sin. Three methods that God uses as chastisement here. One is weakness. The other is sickness. It, do you see it in the word? I don't want you to think I'm making it up. Have you seen it? And the third is some have fallen asleep, which means it's, it's a metaphor for death. These are God's chastising hand upon the church. This is written to the church at Corinth. But watch how we can avoid chastisement. It's in verse 31. You don't want to miss this. I know you want to go on all that. I know football's on all that, but this is too important to miss because football won't spare you from, won't help you with this, what I'm going to show you. But watch verse 31. This is how it's avoided. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Very important. Well, watch this closely. Now, look at verse 32. This is how we avoid chastisement. But, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. But notice what it says. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That means that God would not have to judge us with, with chastisement if we would first judge ourselves. Can you follow that from the text? What does judge ourselves mean? It means confession. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it means true repentance that the Israelites didn't have. They still had cold, arrogant hearts. Truly repentant people don't have that. It means confession, judging ourselves, and it means turning from the sin, which is repentance. God says if you do that, then I won't have to step in. I won't have to judge. If we, if we would judge ourselves, then we would not be judged. But when we are judged by God, because we don't judge ourselves, we are chastened by the Lord. That's what it says in the text. So that we won't be condemned with the world. The issue is, if you know, and if I know that I'm doing something in my life, particularly as a way of a lifestyle, the way I'm living, and I know it's not pleasing to God. 
God says, you judge it. Because if you don't, I'll have to. And if I, do, and if I have to do it, you're going to get chastened. You're going to get a whipping. No, I do it the way we got. You get a beating, not a whipping, a beating. Can you feel me? Amen. So there it is. And I got some scriptural references there for confession. And I got some scriptural references for repentance, which means turn from it. One of the primary ones is an Old Testament one, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that's repentance, then, not before, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sins. Then I will heal their land. But you see, there is repentance in their turning from their wicked ways. Come on, join me on your feet. Amen. Thank you. I thank you for that. That's a tough word, but it's words.